It was kind of like related to like cool, irreverent mascots in the 1990s. You know, think Sonic the Hedgehog is sort of the template for it. But these were all like lizards, right? Remember Sobe? There was a drink company called Sobe, S-O-B-E, and they had uh, they had like a lizard as their mascot, and it was and, and you get the bottles like drain the lizard, you know. And uh, I remember they briefly made one of the myriad Dr. Pepper knockoffs called, I think it was called Dr. Green or Mr. Green or something. And again, it was like that little lizard wearing sunglasses being real cool. Now, I know that in in more recent years, we're talking about the early to mid-1990s, but in more recent years that the gecko from the Geico commercials kind of continuing that tradition. But the idea, there was um, sort of an also-ran video game mascot, again, also following on Sonic. Obviously, Sonic the Hedgehog, as a mascot, kind of was probably inspired by by Mario from Nintendo. But Sonic had that kind of, um, you know, irreverent kind of uh, sarcastic energy that everyone was seeking in their mascot. So there was Gex, G-E-X, again another Gecko character. Uh, I remember actually trying to play some of the games. I think on P- PlayStation One. Um, but again, he's sort of like a sarcastic lizard that wears sunglasses and all this kind of stuff right and uh, you know that whole tone you know and the year i've always i've recently been sort of focusing on is 1993 which seems to be at the heart of that right that there's this this sense of um the zeitgeist sort of again probably the gen x generation x zeitgeist um what it meant to be the world around you was confusing right the world of the 90s was confusing as, uh, right, everything is changing, right? Um, we had just gone through the first Gulf War and the fall of the Soviet Union, right? And now the rising of computer technology, which would, around 94, 95, introduce the Internet and the World Wide Web to, to everyone, right? So we're talking about that time period right before the World Wide Web really takes off. And so this is a time where CD-ROMs are, like, really big, it's like it's interesting because there's this uh there's a certain phenomenon where there's a sweep of culture and technology as they intersect right before it gets to another stage, right? So another one I'm thinking of is probably from I'm trying to think the time period yeah mid a little earlier like in the 80s I think like uh right right before computer generated 3D graphics were sort of the thing in movies. It may be around the same time, but remember like HBO had that opening scene where you're in someone's room and then it pulls out and you, you're you're going through this cityscape and then you go up into space and there's an HBO logo that's like a space station, right? That that was all done. They built a giant model, right? And they had computer-controlled cameras, actual film cameras, I believe, uh, just like being moved but controlled by a computer frame by frame, almost like animation, um, to create that 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 look because you could not yet, while there were 3D computer graphics, they weren't good enough to look like a real city, right? Like a model could back then. That was like t- towards the end of the age of before computer graphics or computer graphic imagery, CGI sort of became the norm in, in filmmaking, right? It sort of feels like another thing happened, like the sophistication of... Uh, home video game systems and computer home computers, uh, CD-ROMs allowing for you know much you know sound and video uh, on computer stuff, and right sort of <coughs> that uh, 
crest of that wave right before it moves into another wave. So I think the World Wide Web, and again, there's no set dates, but I mean, around that time period, we were on an upswing of uh, technology, and especially what's hard to um, really remember or even to represent is the way we were looking at our our view of the future from that time period, right? That is something that's kind of harder to gauge or harder to record exactly as you're just you wake up in the morning in 1993 what is your view of the world and the future and what the the future is going to bring right and uh there's a lot going on there so i think that this this sense of sarcasm and cynicism that was very much uh very big in the 90s especially for you know young adults uh because i think that that was our reaction as a generation to the very confusing and strange circumstances around us, specifically this increase in technology and the kind of uh, the sense that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit as far as what's going on and what's your place in all that. So everyone got real, uh, you know, kind of like cynical and, you know, everyone was talking about things like this, you know, <laughs> and the characters too. And it was, it wasn't just one age group. It was like, the, you know, it was like children and then young adults all sort of had this sarcastic view and then it was this the mascot characters that kind of reflected that and there's so much stuff on tv between tv hosts and comedians and you know dennis miller is probably one of the central figures of that style i don't know what to tell you folks you know um but (laughs) this idea of uh uh, the incoherent tuatara's telephone cantina that I came up with sort of takes place in that world, right? I, I would say probably this uh, this sort of never finished concept I had of, of the Weasel Village Mall, which was a shopping mall. You know, for this case, we'll talk about it's like a shopping mall in kind of an alternate or idealized 1993, right? Um, and it's a concept I've talked about a lot in the past. You know, it's so the idea that there's like an indoor theme park there called Wolf Mellow and then the night station ride it's like a train ride it's sort of like a store in a mall but it's actually you go in and you it's like a train ride like a dark ride like in the Disney theme parks and then the train kind of goes all over the mall like you go over the food court then you like it's all sort of built into the mall the train ride stuff like that and then so it's the idea that if you took right the the vision of sort of what could have been in that time period Again, the promise of what could have been from that time period, because it changed so much in the, f- the years following that. The Weasel Village Mall, in this case, would be sort of a representation of that sort of uh, entertainment destination kind of um, concept. And it's funny because down the street there's that mall. I actually recorded a whole episode there a, w- a couple weeks ago. The American Dream, which is a mall slash entertainment destination. That has kind kind of covers similar ground, but it just in no way does it feel like this concept, right? It's just it's just uh, to try to explain it. I, I, it's hard to say, but it's just the American Dream. It feels like everything there is a pale reflection of what could have been. But the idea that all of these different entertainment things, cause things that are computer-controlled, audio, and, audio animatronics, uh, rides, and use of videos and technologies that are all new, right, in, in, in the use of, in, 
being used to create an entertainment destination, but in a very analog way, right? Um, I know I'm not describing it properly, but it just sort of had that vibe. And then, in a way, it's something that I uh, that I can totally understand and perceive in my mind, but I just can't describe it. It's really weird. I, it's very frustrating. I did actually go out to the Mall of America out in Minneapolis area in, uh, in ni- I think it was 94. It was a day trip. It was a day trip where I flew out in the morning, took a shuttle over to the mall, then uh, took the shuttle a few hours later, took the shuttle back to the airport and came back to uh, New Jersey. It was an amazing trip. Too bad I wasn't recording uh, back then in 94. I'm sure I could have gotten a little pocket tape recorder and recorded, but I just didn't think to do it. I just wasn't, it, it was not on my radar back then. <laughs> Too bad, it would have been a great tape. But I got s- some sense of that there, right? There's a, there's a theme park in the middle. At that point, it was called Knott's Camp Snoopy. And there was a log flume that went right past the food court. You went right past people sitting in the food court. There were laser tag places. There were there were, there was Pog kiosks. I mean, it was very nineties, yeah. <coughs> but anyway, the specific idea would be the uh, the uh, the incoherent Tuatara's telephone cantina would be um, for the Weasel Village Mall in that alternate nineteen ninety three, and it would be just one of many amazing. Uh, attractions there, but it would be like a restaurant, like a cantina, like a bar restaurant. But it would be sort of uh, the mascot would be this, the incoherent Tuatara. <laughs> it was like a Tuatara. Because I remember when I was a kid, somehow I think the Tuatara was like a lizard from New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken. But they would they they would really just sort of there was a lot of. I remember I had books about the Tuatara. We had classes about it. Like what was the whole thing? Why I haven't heard independently about a Tuatara in years. You know. But the idea is, right, there would be this, like when you walked in, there would be this big audio animatronic figure of this, you know, kind of a cartoon lizard who's all incoherent, you know. He's like babbling, but there's all these telephones around him that keep ringing and he keeps trying to answer them. But it'd be like, you know, like a robotic figurine, like at Disney World. But like this one, like the special thing was there were all these telephones around him and he, he could actually reach down and pick up the receiver and put it to his ear, right, and then put it back down and then move to another one, right? It had that capacity. It was able to, like, it wasn't, like, you'd think normally you built a figurine like that, like the telephone receiver would be sort of glued to the hand. But in this case, it was able to, like, that was one of the big features. It was able to, like, try to answer all these different telephones and sort of babble incoherently. And it sort of represented everyone's feeling of confusion, the fast pace, not sure what's going on in the world. You become incoherent. So the incoherent Tuatara's Telephone Cantina was this restaurant that represented the way the Gen Xers were feeling as young adults back then. See this concept I made up? <laughs> I got a lot of these kind of concepts. You know, it would, it, and I've, always, I've often thought of, like, trying to build the Weasel Village Mall in, like, a virtual reality. But in this timeline, the whole virtual reality metaverse thing is really... Run into a bit of a roadblock if if you've noticed. It almost seems that the powers that be want to uh, prevent a metaverse from uh, becoming a big thing. Who knows? Uh, anyway, it would be cool though. 
just to just to sort of build it out. But it's not it's it's not something that I would uh, I'm not working on at the moment. But um, so yeah, I just like that phrase, the incoherent Tuatara's telephone cantina. And wasn't there a song I made about the Tuatara? There was something, yeah, the Tuatara overlord or something. Remember, I made a song like that. Let me make a note of it. We'll try to find that later on. Yeah, it's one of those songs that I created. Um, and it's only ever been played on the other side. So there's there's quite a bit of that stuff. There's like content that has only ever been played on the other side. It has no other release. Kind of an interesting category of content. Yeah, and the and the use of the, the idea of cantina is uh I know I just had an episode called Ask a Cantina, but um using Cantina a lot lately. But the you know, in the nineties there was also this Sort of a sense of um, all these different world cultures were, you know, experiencing and expressing all different world cultures was something that was big. Like world music was on the rise, right? And, um, you know, just the designs of cultures all around the world. So the idea of like a cantina that sort of seems kind of exotic, like a Mexican cantina kind of theme. Um, No one was thinking in terms of. Uh, that it's wrong to try to experience different things because it's not your culture. That whole concept is is really kind of toxic, in my opinion. That uh, you know you can't you can't express any of these ideas unless you're from that culture. But there was none of that in the '90s. People were pretty pretty open to it. It seemed very positive. It seemed like a positive thing to try to experience all different cuisines and different design styles and different different things. You know. I don't know what happened. Listen, a lot of stuff happened. What do you want? Um, and the Rainforest Cafe was a good example of that, which I think that did start around 93 or 94, actually. And it seemed pretty relevant for a few years as a concept. You know, everyone was talking about the rainforest. I think that was sort of a, a new term for the what we had previously called jungle. The jungle was uh, the rainforest just now. Down the new word, but... Um, as sort of just a visceral representation of how mu- how things have changed, I actually, as you heard, I went into the, um, or I described it right. I don't. I wasn't recording, but I, I described uh, how I went into the Rainforest Cafe at the at the Menlo Park Mall uh, a few weeks ago, and how it is just completely de- deteriorated, degenerated, but it's still there in some way. And there are still rain. Somehow, the Rainforest Cafe still exists. But it is considered the absolute worst rainforest cafe in the entire world, the one at Menlo Park Mall. <laughs> that was so funny. But, yeah. I, I, I know I'm sort of, it's impossible to describe this vision I have of this mall in 1993 that, why is it cool? Why would anyone care? Like, it's just, there's a thing that when I think about it, I'm like experiencing thought thoughts and thought forms and feelings of expression and value and all all those things that I can't quite transfer via audio it's hard it's very frustrating very frustrating indeed yeah here it is uh, <coughs> it's a song called the casual acquaintance of the new Tuatara overlord of the parking lot by Charleston bands and Junkard Sane that's one of my musical pen names. 
I, don't even, I sort of remember this. Just the title. Well, I guess I made it with the uh, Chaosolator. And another song of the similar vein was uh, Arrival of the Amphibious Kinkajou. Wait, Arrival of the Amphibious Kinkajou by Charleston Bands and Junkard Stain. It's a lot longer, yeah. And then, of course, Jackpot Lee Damselfly. Great music, huh? What else have I played on the other side by Charleston Bands and Junkard Sane? Uh, and I, I released two little albums by them, too. So there was Techno Pagan, this one. Yeah, yeah, that was, the mu- that was some of those musical snippets I used to play at the beginning of the Frank Norris show way back when. And then these two were just uh, a couple songs from the uh, actual releases. Horse Cop Coffee Leaf and uh, lo- Locust wait wait Locust Avenue maintaining the highest standards of conduct both on and off the job it's important no matter what but when you consider that our mission is not just law enforcement but the teaching of law enforcement our maintenance of the highest standards of conduct becomes even more crucial oh yeah this one yeah See, I think this music, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, it, it's only ever been released on the other side of the Overnightscape. And it doesn't really need to be released anywhere else. It's not really, you know, that high quality of music. It's all right, but, you know. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, today's show art. Let's take a look at it here. Yes, the Incoherent Two Towers Telephone Cantina. This is a picture I took just a, a week or two ago. When I went over to the Woodbridge Center Mall, remember, I, as I said, I went to Menlo and Woodbridge. It was a very weird afternoon. And this is by where I parked one of the former anchor stores of the mall, um, which is now abandoned, which has this beautiful, somewhat brutalist style, as you can see on the picture. Um, these columns and uh, sort of the gray, you know, sort of concrete look, very brutalist. And uh, in the foreground there, you can see a little little patch with some boulders and some hedges and stuff. That's by the Red Robin restaurants that, that's there now. But what you're seeing there, I just thought this was such a cool sight. It's sort of the devastation of the past of this once thriving mall. Um, this had been A&S. And if you, if you look at the little, I put a little code numbers on the top. Sometimes it's, it's good to put code numbers in the corner because it just sort of looks more official that way. So in the upper left-hand corner, I put uh, <coughs> 414-21256, which, of course, is the letters O-N-S-U-G, uh, base 36 converted to base 10. That's sort of a secret code for ONSUG. And the font I use is, is one called L'Internationale. Great, more French stuff like last episode, but uh, I love that font. I got it on fontlibrary.org. But in the upper right, the code says ans Seven one dash nine five, and that means what you're looking at was a department store called ANS uh, Abraham and Strauss that opened with the mall in 1971 and shut down in 1995 to be replaced by Sears. Sears, of course, I guess Sears was there until fairly recently, a couple years ago, when all the Sears started shutting down as well. 
So that code up there kind of references what we're looking at. I just love that image because then there's a car sitting out in front for some reason. What, what are you doing sitting in front of? There's nothing there. There's no one there. And then there's another car approaching. Yeah, I sort of love that. Love that image. But so, you know, it's sort of in reference to sort of the wreckage of an old mall, the ruins of an old mall. And that was once a very vital mall. Yeah, I would just... Why can't I... Why isn't there time travel? Why can't I just go to frickin' Woodbridge in 1981 or something? I mean, you know, it's... uh, Just to go. Just to hang out. Just to experience it, right? It has to still be there at some level of reality. Why is it inaccessible to to the likes of me at this level, right? Well, I guess you could say, were I able to uh, access such things, that would be a very different kind of lifestyle than the one I'm leading, right? So that could exist, but... I mean, I guess if I was able to do it, right... And it wasn't sort of a publicly known thing. Oh, time travel has been invented. Everyone can do it now. Right? It would be kind of hard. Like, you'd have to just not talk about it. It would be secret. Or you'd have to erase your memory after you did it. And then what's it, what, what use is it? And I know, you know, I guess, you know, the topic of AI, how it can recreate things. And I've talked about this extensively. If you were to feed in to an AI system... All of the information about, for example, this shopping mall, the Woodbridge Center Mall in Woodbridge, New Jersey, every bit of imagery, photographs, newspaper clippings, and every podcast where everyone's talking about it, every YouTube video where anyone has any footage from their mall maps, government documents, right? And AI should be able to really recreate it to a a high degree of um, realism. But, and that would be a form of time travel, I suppose, right? I've talked about this idea many times, you know, AI sort of recreating the past, um, right? Not just a shopping mall, but all of the world. It could recreate based on existing documentation. And, right, if 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 an AI was charged with recreating aspects of the past, Right, it could actually start interviewing people that actually have memories of having been there that are not recorded anywhere, right? So, you, like, you'd sort of have a session with the AI every day. This would be a, a period of history, uh, the AI uh, interview time. <laughs> it would be, uh, right, it would be kind of a necessary step. Uh, once AI reaches a certain level, artificial intelligence reaches a certain level right it will be able it would sort of collect and start to process all the information about everything in the world right and i'm talking about every document available everywhere obviously it can't go into your house and rummage through your photos yet um but it might uh <clears throat> but right now to capture the information that exists now, right? A lot of it's on the internet, but a lot of it's not. So it would become a mission for 
right? We're talking about an artificial intelligence that is there's essentially just one of them, right? It's one AI that it just sort of combines all the AIs in the world, right? But there will come this time where it is going to want to come into your house. It's going to want to, it's going to send, it's going to, and I don't know if this will be something that, <laughs> I know this sounds all sounds very sinister, but the idea that in the interest of creating a fully fleshed out three-dimensional model of the entire world for all of human history, right? There's obviously going to be times where there's very little to no information that we have today, right? But when it comes to recent history, um, there is a lot. And, and you know, no, not every nook and cranny is ever going to be um, modeled. But I think that robots that would very politely come into your house and look through all of your stuff <laughs> to, to grab um, the available imagery, reading people's diaries, right, just every bit of information you have from your life um, and picture you've taken, video you've taken from all the old formats and everything um, could be used to flesh out the the one world model, right? That sounds like one world government. But the idea, a model of the entire world as it as it is and as it has been with as much detail as possible. I don't even know what you would call this, like, but it does not sound like... Um, an amazing resource, right? So <clears throat> the interview time would be beyond it looking through materials, it would be um, interviewing people. This is something you might do. I mean, because AI would sort of eliminate most jobs, obviously. So your job will become to uh, talk to the AI and reminisce about things from your past. So when it comes to something like the Woodbridge Center Mall, I could talk about these mem memories I had. Oh, I remember the there was a Woolworths, you know, the five and ten store of Woolworths. And at some point in the in the early '80s, they had uh, a row of arcade machines that sort of separated by maybe kind of a wooden wall or something. And I think they had Donkey Kong Three, the one with that freaking bug man. What the hell was up with that? The guy shooting bugs with some sort of bug spray. <laughs> Mario wasn't even there. But then again, the game is called Donkey Kong, not Mario. So. Um, and, uh, you know, something like that, like what games did it, were there at the Woolworths in, 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 uh, Woodbridge Center, what games were there in that lineup? There may not be any pictures of it. And the AI could then be like, okay, well, I'm looking through all my records and we, uh, you know, have people with, uh, some records showing the names of the people that work there. So we're going to try to, the AI will then contact them and ask them what video games they remember. <laughs> <laughs> right. And remember, not just in people's houses, there's probably just warehouses full of documents that, I mean, obviously a lot of documents have been have been thrown away or have been, you know, shredded. But, you know, the records that, that remain, I mean, an AI through via robots can go in and just read every document ever. Now, I know there's a real sinister edge to what I'm saying, right? But I would say that at least the uh, the dream of this recreation of the world, essentially creating a time travel system where you can go anywhere in you can go anywhere in the world at any time. The closest we have to that now is is Google Street View, which goes back a decade or two, maybe not two, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, about fifteen years. Sometimes you get stuff from two thousand seven ish. 
So you can drive around different areas like in, in the past. But imagine something like that just incredibly supercharged, completely three-dimensional, populated with people, right? And the AI will then, of course, fill in the gaps of everything that's missing, putting in the most likely scenario, you know. If there's a, rest if there's a pizza restaurant somewhere and you see three of the four walls, it can just make up what the fourth wall looks like. But I think this is this is uh, and and the thing is, a lot of the it would have to it would be a time sensitive thing because right imagine every day, the number of people that die or become incapacitated and aren't able to talk or recall things, right? Like every day we're losing the potential for vast amounts of details of the past to be preserved through people's memories, and the uh, materials the the historic materials <laughs> historic materials. Documents, diaries, I know this sounds awfully personal, but listen, it's for a higher cause. Diaries, documents, uh, business documents, government documents, right? I'm sure every day there's huge numbers of those being destroyed, shredded, dumped in, 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 into uh, <clears throat> garbage dumps. And in fact, considering the capacity of, of AIs, they could actually um, dig up every single garbage dump in the world and examine every single artifact in every single garbage dump in order to add to the information, right? No people need to be involved. The AI will design garbage dump robots to dig in and extract every, every object and catalog it and take images of it to build the model of the past. Um, and it'll actually build the factories that will that can then build the robots and you know it's and you know <clears throat> that's another good thing to do dig up history it's probably a lot of stuff in garbage dumps but the idea that that you would you would dig up every garbage dump in, on earth to get information this is something where from a human perspective wow it is just way too insane of an idea to be worth it because how important is this information and people have to go and dig up garbage and look at every single thing of these billions or trillions of objects for an AI it's it is no problem they'll do it in the most efficient way possible with robots and no people need to be involved we can just uh, we can just enjoy the fruits of their labor right the, the recreated world of the past including the information that's dug up from the garbage. <laughs> now, I know in metaphysics, there's a, um, a concept of uh, uh, an idea called uh, the Akashic Records that is somewhere, right, when we think of things as, uh, you know, a supernatural situation, right, that this world is actually part of a larger supernatural system, that there is a record of everything that's happened and every, every, so that information that we're looking for could actually be accessed it's already there right and, and if there could be an interface that recreation of the past could be utterly complete right um but of course that's a big question does something like that exist uh we don't we don't know exactly <laughs> possibly but anyway, this this sort of relates to uh, a discussion we had on the most recent exit ramp. Me and uh, Nate were talking 
how we both had gotten very burnt out on all the AI imagery. Remember earlier this year, I was into like mid-journey, creating those AI images. I was amazed at the capacity of the system. And I just got very much viscerally like, I couldn't take it anymore. And Nate even said he felt sick to his stomach seeing these images. And I, and I can relate. I kind of had the same experience. I was so gung-ho about it. But it, then it started to feel extremely like, I think I talked, yeah, I did talk about this in the show. The, the idea that knowing that there's no human effort behind it kind of ruins it in, in a way that, that's kind of unexpected. And I unsubscribed from mid-journey. I had been paying way too much for it. I wasn't even using it anymore. I do think I want to go through the images I did make, though. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> the first few years, I, I think I have to manually download them. I don't know. Let me make a note. Download mid-journey images, right? I wonder if you can download them all. I'll have to look into this. Because I was really into it, for, you know, for a few months. But yeah, so it's sort of like uh, when you take the, the human effort out of it, does it kind of ruin it? And in essence, this what I'm talking about modeling the past is essentially building a simulation of the world before the AI arrived. And is that what we'd want? Would we want to just sort of dwell upon or dwell in a world before the AI arrived? <clears throat> I mean, I'm just talking about it as kind of a cool way of doing like, quote unquote, time travel. I want to go to the Woodbridge Center. I can literally go at any, at, I could give my date and time and the AI system will have a recreation of it as accurate as possible with all the available information. Yeah. <laughs> Scary stuff, yeah. Oh, I was thinking that at, at the uh, Incoherent Tua Towers telephone cantina, um, there would be like, um, tel there'd be a, a telephone, there'd be uh, several telephones at the table like where you're eating and there would be this incoherence factor like you would you but you would basically make a phone call to order your food but like half the time like who on person on the other end would be like incoherent like they wouldn't you wouldn't know what they were saying and you had to try several times before you finally got the food order through <laughs> i think that would be pretty cool yeah but yeah but i but i think anyway to finish up the thought on the ai making us almost sick physically sick um, yeah, that was kind of an unexpected feeling. And because I think there's much larger implications to all this, right? The subtleties of what gives our daily life meaning in all the different facets of, of life. And one of them I do think is that the understanding that the arts uh, that we enjoy, even if you don't think about it, you just know that real people worked hard on all this stuff and um right how how important is that i think it may be more important than we think in uh, other news now i was uh checking out this site remember rement uh this uh, japanese uh product line which is essentially like they it used to be like miniature food like Super detailed, like miniature objects, sort of dollhouse sized. I kind of thought the whole thing had kind of gone kaput, but it's just that you really can't find it in the U.S. as much as you could before. So I was just 
sort of on a whim, I was just browsing it, and there's a site called plazajapan.com that has quite a bit of rement. And they had one that I thought was especially interesting, Snoopy's Hotel Life. This is the uh, comic strip character Snoopy, of course, from the Peanuts. And uh, this, is, this is sort of the details of his stay at a hotel, Snoopy's Hotel Life. Or did he move into the hotel? Is he, did he move out of the doghouse and run away from Charlie Brown? And he's now living in a, in a hotel. It suggests all sorts of interesting uh, scenarios. But, uh, yeah, so what we have, uh, I guess you can buy these in a way like, um, yeah, you can buy, there's eight separate individual sets. But I guess if you buy a box... You get all eight sets, and in this case, it's uh, you can get it for like thirty-seven dollars, thirty-eight dollars. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what exactly you do with this stuff. I had that thing called the bottle of things once that I put some of the rement in, but um, yeah. See, so Snoopy. The main image is Snoopy is is sleeping in the bed with uh, Woodstock. Woodstock has one of those sleeping caps on. Right, the that that light blue like conical cap. They, I you know, remember people used to always wear like like a little hat to go to bed. I remember. I think I researched that on a recent episode, didn't I? Or maybe not so recent. Why do people used to wear these caps to bed? Um, but anyway, uh, it, so it comes in eight phases. The hotel life has like eight phases. Each one is a little playset. So you have. Uh, so you have first you have check in, and you have uh, a little bell. You know you, you go up to the table, you go ding on the little bell, has a little pen and a pen holder, the suitcase, Snoopy suitcase, and one of those uh, suitcase things on wheels. You know like so they can bring your suitcase up, your, your luggage up to your room, and then there's a bellhop Snoopy. So I thought Snoopy was like staying at the hotel, but there's a Snoopy that's actually working at the hotel as well. Maybe in terms of his hotel life, he's like everyone in the hotel. He's every worker. He's every guest. It's weird because that seems to be the only actual hmm, – seems to be the only actual – no, it's weird because there's another Snoopy shown here. Oh, maybe it's a Snoopy pillow actually. Oh, I think it's a Snoopy pillow that Woodstock's sleeping next to. So, you, so Snoopy then is not – he works at the hotel. Maybe he's not staying at the hotel. Woodstock is the guest. Okay. <laughs> so very, very confusing. Yeah, because I think there is where the Snoopy pillow is. Okay. So phase one is the check. And then uh, phase two is welcome. There's a, a lovely glass table. Uh, with a, You know, it's a, it's a table, a circular table with a glass surface. There's a little, I don't know if it's a little menu or a little, like, clipboard type of thing. You know, you go to the hotel and there's a little... Um, little folder kind of thing. We have all the hotel information. Looks like there's a bottle of water with a little label on it. You know, like like this dot bottle of water costs five dollars if you drink it. Then there's a little metal stand with an apple and a and a banana on it. Phase three is grooming, and you have a, a bathroom sink, a hair dryer, and some various other toiletries that at this resolution I can't quite make out. Phase four is bedtime. With the bed, including like at the bottom of the bed, there's a it says something like Snoopy Classic something. It's 
you know, like I guess sometimes they do have like an extra weird little blanket towards the bottom of the bed, the base of the bed. And then there is the sleeping Woodstock, the red bird, and the do not disturb sign you can put on the door of the imaginary hotel. And there's something else there that I can't really quite figure. Oh, oh, it's the key. It's the hotel key. Okay. Yeah, because this image shows a lot of the stuff. And then phase five is bath time. Okay, so you have a bathtub. You have the shampoo and the body wash or the conditioner. Some slippers and a robe for, for whoever. Then you have complimentary drinks. So there's an actual, it looks like a little, is it a little refrigerator, mini fridge. It looks like a bottle of beer perhaps and a, uh, a coffee cup. Do we see that in the main image? And then, yeah, yeah, then that little, that little tray that has the coffee and, and the little creamer thing, yeah. And there's also a, a cup, just a glass. Very realistic, everything you need for staying in a hotel here. And phase seven is take a break. You have a comfy green chair, a floor lamp, a little side table, and then I think that is the Snoopy, a Snoopy head pillow. Finally, you have phase eight, breakfast room service. It's just a, a cart with a meal on it, which appears to be uh, orange juice. Looks like a bagel, but the bagel actually has some Snoopy graphics on it and uh, some lettuce and tomato and a fork and a spoon. Oh, and the luggage cart has a, a golden statue of Woodstock on top of it. Listen, I don't know about this product. This is a wild product. Should I buy it? I don't know. No, I don't need it. Oh, they have close-ups of each one. What? I didn't realize this. Okay. Any details that I missed? Snoopy Classic Hotel. The Mineral Water. Yes. Toothbrush and toothpaste. Dental kit. There's a towel. And I don't know what that is. Like a little puck type of thing. I'm not sure what that is. It's room 104. Let's see. Pretty amazing stuff here. And it's not beer. It's orange juice from the Snoopy Classic Hotel. <coughs> and uh, you have uh, coffee and the English breakfast tea bags. Yeah. And that is definitely a, a Snoopy pillow. You can tell from this image. But there's Snoopy graphics on all the items if you really look closely. Yeah. The Snoopy bagel. I'm really obsessing on this Snoopy's hotel life. It just seems so random. And I, I guess you have to sort of, like, you would want to set up an entire little, that room, you know, the, a little miniature room that could be the hotel room. And it, this is all meant to be in one space, basically, in, in a hotel room. Hmm. But then you, there would be pieces missing, like the floor and the walls and the, the window and the actual door. So I don't know if that's up to you or you just want to imagine it. Or what do you do with this stuff? I don't know. Snoopy's hotel life. I'm not going to buy it. Should I buy it? How much does it cost? No, I'm not going to buy it. No. Let's go down to the basement now, shall we? Let's descend the staircase here. So, as you may remember, I think it was really at the start of the year here. We had a big project in the basement here because uh, we had a, a situation where 
or pretty much almost brand new, just a couple, like a year and a half old dishwasher, uh, went just completely busted and started, you know, spurting water all over the floor, seeped into the ceiling here in the basement. So we got some insurance money for that. And uh, we had this project. We sort of redid the walls and the, uh, you know, did some painting and fixed up the basement here. But I have this bookshelf with most of my books on it. The rest of my books were uh, in the upstairs in my office. You know, it's an Ikea bookshelf or Ikea-like bookshelf. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, six shelves just full of books. And uh, in order for this project to go, we had to, we couldn't really move the bookshelf with the books on it because they're just way too heavy. Don't even know how much this would weigh, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. So we took all the books off, put them in the other room. But before we did that, I took a picture of each shelf and uh, with the idea of rebuilding the bookshelves as it was. So I would say uh, probably, I don't know, in March or April, the project was done. And I, and I put the books back, but in a very haphazard way, meaning to uh, use those pictures to re- recreate it. But I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Until finally yesterday, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And uh, those pictures I actually had been, uh, I was trying to put them together for some kind of show art. I, I, do ha- I did make some progress for a show art using, using the pictures of the bookshelves. But um, I guess I could just take a picture of it as, it as it is now. I was trying to recreate the bookshelf, right, based on, because uh, each picture was at a slightly different angle and stuff. And it was very hard to re- rebuild it. But yeah, maybe I'll just take a picture here. Why not? <laughs> Let's see. Camera. Okay. Ooh, that's not bad. Yeah, right? Let me get it close as I can here. See? It's just that, yeah, because like the light is, the way the light is reflecting on it kind of, oh, well, let me just take a picture. The other one's kind of cool because it's all segmented and stuff. Anyway, yeah, that's a good picture too. Anyway, I just went shelf by shelf, and I had a, I had an image, and I, tra- I I emailed myself the image of all the shelves together, put it on my iPad, and I was sitting with my iPad as my reference, and I could pinch the zoom out or in and. Uh, I just found every book and put it in the exact same order as it used to be. And uh, it just felt so good to finally do it. It looks wonderful. It's not like the, the previous design was kind of haphazard too, but I've recreated what it was last year. Nice. Very cool books. Very nice. Something else that's sort of like a revival of... Stuff from the past. I uh, I don't know why. I, I you know I, I used to take a multivitamin all the time, and I just kind of stopped. Remember, I got some of those hipster vitamins. I got like ho- the holier vitamins, and they were just god awfully expensive. And I don't know. I just sort of fell off the wagon taking. I just did not. Uh, I was not taking vitamins regularly, but I really felt I. Uh, I needed, I, I felt like I was lacking various nutrients. I just felt kind of out. I've been feeling kind of in the doldrums lately, you know? It's a good word, doldrums. So, of course, I started researching it and uh, 
found this one from Supplement Studio. It's a very generic looking bottle. Whole Food Multivitamin Plus with iron. Contains CoQ10, Omega-3, Omega-6, turmeric, 25 vitamins and minerals, three strain probiotic, and it's all vegan. So now I'm going to keep taking these. I feel like I should have, and I know there's lots of debate as to whether or not you need this stuff, but this has a lot of stuff, all the different vitamins and minerals, a whole food blend, heart blend, fruit and vegetable mix, herb blend, <coughs> turmeric, citrus complex, mushroom blend, an enzyme, co- enzyme complex, and a probiotic blend. Listen, you just got to take their word for it. Uh, they, they say that they're double checking it, but... You never know, right? Like, I, I would hope, I would hope they would be, like, uh, honest about it. But uh, so far, so good. I, I don't really feel any changes. I've only been having it for, like, three days now. But, yeah, I really, I've been feeling kind of out of it. So I really, I think I need some vitamins. I really do. I could use some vitamins, definitely. Now for a little update on last episode. Um, yeah, there was a real strange synchronicity last time where I was, to start the show, I didn't know what to talk about, so I just sort of thought about my old commute from Plainsboro, New Jersey, which involved driving through the little little town of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, while I had already planned on talking about the 13th Floor Elevator song, Slip Inside This House, which the... Um, the cover version by Primal Scream had this sample in it. One moment. Where is it? Where is it? Yeah, here it is. Hopefully. Right, the War of the Worlds. It sounds like someone saying the War of the Worlds Martians landed. Yeah, I've been listening to this song since '91, and uh, I always wondered what that was all about. You know, you have it here. <laughs> so I was assuming it was Rocky Erickson, the singer of the original song, saying that because he was kind of a he was kind of a nutty guy. Rocky Erickson, and uh, so uh, when Anne on Facebook posted some images from the Grover's Mill coffee shop, I didn't realize there is an alien-themed coffee shop. They have a little, like, lava lamp with an alien inside, a sign reserved parking for aliens only, and uh, sort of a variant of the I want you Uncle Sam sign with an alien pointing at you. We want you to drink our coffee. So, you know, like, for example, like Roswell, New Mexico is very associated with aliens and flying saucers, but so is Grover's Mill, New Jersey, because uh, Orson Welles decided to base the landing there because he think he thought it would sound more realistic, this, this random, obscure town in New Jersey. It's interesting that I almost, on last episode, also, I, I was on 41st Street, and I was looking for the plaque on one of the buildings, uh, stating it was the former location of uh, Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. That would have fit in as well, because, of course, 
I believe War of the Worlds was part of Mercury Theater on the air. This was a theater before the whole radio stuff on 41st Street there by Bryant Park. But anyway, so when I saw this, I didn't realize there was a coffee shop there with the alien stuff. It makes sense, though. I don't know how many people would travel to Grover's Mill, New Jersey to experience the War of the Worlds stuff, but I'm sure it must be a pilgrimage place for people. And there is also a, there's a plaque in Grover's Mill about it being chosen as the place of uh, the War of the Worlds radio broadcast that some people thought were real was real. Anyway... I just started searching randomly. I, I, I always searched the War of the Worlds, Martians landed. I, nothing comes up. So I typed in Rocky Erickson, uh, Martians interview. And somehow I found this. This is, uh, this is very exciting because I finally found. The War of the Worlds, Martians have landed. Again again. Right, let me, let me play the whole context. This says Rocky Erickson interview on San Francisco radio show, late 70s. So this is Rocky being a, uh, he's a bit of a nutty guy, as I said, you know. Rocky Erickson interview, yeah, okay. April Fool's Day, late 70s. I don't know if much is known about this. It's kind of frustrating to listen to because the guy is kind of, he's he's crazy. He's like nutty, you know. When does it start? It's like silence at the beginning. <coughs> the wrong phone. The wrong phone. Now we tuned in. This is 2 o'clock and we tuned in. Now, two years ago, and and we and we brought you. You're gonna miss me. Was meant to any fan of Rocky Erickson should stand out there when they're jumping after they announced the War of the Worlds. The Martians have landed again and again. Here he's saying the War of the Worlds. Martians have landed, and it sounds like they they cut out the have, but it sounds like the same exact right. They may have changed the the speed of it a little bit. The War of the Worlds. Martians landed. Two o'clock, and we tuned in. Now, two years ago, and and we and we brought you. You're gonna miss me. Was meant to any fan of Rocky Erickson should stand out there when they're jumping after they announced the War of the Worlds. The Martians have landed again and again. And and you could buy little copies. And this is two o'clock. Donovan's brain. And just saying that you can buy. You're gonna miss me two times. Well, when they do jump again from the E-Baby Mazzalemi studio, they will miss you. The interpreter now, Donovan's brain. We're returning you to our program. Yeah, it's kind of appropriate. He's, he's, he's not a Tuatara, but he is kind of incoherent. Um, it just goes on and on like that, and it's, it's pretty wild because uh, he's, he's rambling about various horror movies and things like that. But that's where that sample comes from. I'm so happy I finally found that. And I know I saw the Rocky Erickson documentary. It was just, it was depressing because the guy, I mean, obviously the guy had mental illness, right? And he was just, uh, he had, you know, some brilliant songs he wrote, or at least one brilliant song, Slip Inside This House. The War of the Worlds Martians Have Landed. He, he didn't even give credit to, to Grover's Mill, New Jersey. I mean, come on. He should give Jersey credit. I know the guy's from Texas, and Texas and New Jersey are not like, you know, necessarily, they're, they're somewhat at odds as two states, but anyway, talking about Texas and New Jersey, we have a new show on the Overnight Scape Underground, yes. It is called Post Arlen Monologics by Maverick88, and it's a guy that lives in Texas, and uh, he's, he talks about his life, and it's fascinating stuff. Uh, so much to say. And uh, but he does mention that he did grow up in New Jersey, 
In fact, as I've often talked about, my um, sort of idyllic childhood in this neighborhood in Bridgewater, New Jersey, it was a little neighborhood and all the kids knew each other and we always would go out and play. You, you know, back then in the 70s, you can just go out and play, just go to other people's houses, knock on the door, see if they're there, see what's going on before any of this digital stuff or computer stuff or cell phones or anything, right? We would just go around the neighborhood and see everyone. It was an amazing, see, in retrospect, it was an amazing time, that, that little neighborhood there in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Um, I've talked so much about it. And uh, Maverick 88 was one of the kids in that neighborhood. Believe it or not, he was one of the kids in that neighborhood. And um, he has gone on a, quite a different path in life than, than mine. And uh, it's a fascinating stuff. He he found me. He I'm sure he found me because of, uh, you know, that we, we probably had common friends on Facebook or whatever because growing up in that same place, it's amazing. So check out the new show, Post Arlen Monologics with uh, Maverick88. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from him. And uh, just wanted to mention that that is quite a new show. It's been a while since there's been a new show here on the channel. So uh, I'm very, very happy that Maverick88 has, has uh, contacted me and is doing a show. It's fantastic. Fantastic stuff. And if that's not enough, there is another new show. It's by PQ River, a stalwart of the Overnight Escape Underground, and he has produced Patch 001. And this is uh, kind of a return to the old Night Station patch concept and uh, doing shows that are longer form. In this case, it is, uh, what is it, about six and a half hours long where you include... Right, you're at the hosting level, but then you play tons of stuff in one audio recording, and uh, I always thought that that format had a great deal of potential, and it does relate to what I was talking about last time with the, um, you know, the hosting level and then the content, right? The night station patches, um, there was something to it. It's just back then with with night station, I. Uh, I was playing them on a live streaming uh, channel, and then there was this whole streaming angle to it, right? Which didn't really fit well with the format, right? So then I, I it just wasn't working, and it was costing me money, so I had to shut the whole thing down. And I feel like, um, you know, we have not explored the concept uh, too much since then, even though the aspect that failed was because it was meant to be something that was streamed live, Right, we weren't live, but we were sort of virtually live. Like we would play these long form pieces um, on on sort of a shoutcast stream, right? And uh, the, the, it just didn't work. But I think that um, as a concept, just as a as a, as an archive piece, or as just something you can sit and listen to, there's something to be said for the patches. And, and I, I'm very happy PQ has. Uh, Brought back the concept, and we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Some exciting news here on the Overnight Escape Underground. Yes. And now in video game news, Atari revives unreleased arcade game that was too damn hard for 1982 players. Legendary developer Jeff Minter brings his signature trippy style to Aka R remake. And here's the video. Uh, it wasn't that it was too hard. It was that I mean I. I have played the game now, and they, they did include it on the Atari 50. We'll play it in a minute here. Um, I just don't think it was a very good game, but anyway. Jeff Minter of 
Tempest 2000 fame, obviously. Atari. In 1982, Atari produced a secret prototype arcade machine. It was not secret. It was a prototype. They did that for a ton of games. They're hyping this thing up as if it's some sort of Polybius or something. It's not. Forty years later, only three have ever been seen in public. Because they only made three. I mean, they're really hyping. They're, they're adding hype to this that doesn't really, you know. This project was known as and I, t- I talked about Akar within the past year or two. Pretty trippy graphics. I don't know, though. Cool logo, though, Akar. Um, everything about the game was like cool except for the, the, the gameplay what did it originally what did it stand for um, the initials the initials of the creators or something Aka R yes here's the information uh where is it? The game was designed by the team of Mike Halley and Dave Ralston. The title is an acronym for also known as another Ralston Holly production. AKA, right, Aka, but they put two K's in there. A R R H. A R. They're adding letters in between. <coughs> another Ralston Holly production. Yeah, everything. This all had the ingredients to be a great game. In uh, was it eighty two? Was this says the the Jorzonian fleet point value troopers, cruisers, destroyers, speeders, eluders, twisters, scouters, wall builders, motherships, primary, binary mervs, and cannon builders. It all looks good on paper, but until you play it, which let's just quickly play Akaar. Was again, there was a reason I gave this a great review. The Atari fifty release, which contains a ton of games. They did include Akaar. And, you know, I'm playing it with the, the controller here, and uh, yeah, I didn't think it was that much fun, honestly. I was also looking into... I was, I was, they also have Tempest 2000 on this collection, which is by Jeff Minter. Then apparently, a few years later, Jeff Minter tried to release a game called TXK on the Sony... What is it called? Not the Vivo? The, l- the little... Um, Ugh. Sony Vita, the, the little handheld uh, PlayStation thing. Vita, right? And they sued him. Atari sued. Whatever version of the company it was at that point sued Jeff Minter because it was too similar to Tempest. Then eventually they negotiated with him and uh, <coughs> they made Tempest 4000 out of it. Meanwhile, I, I did have Tempest 3000 on one of the most obscure video game consoles ever. The Nuon. I still have it somewhere. I still have a new one, and I still have the Tempest somewhere. Maybe I should break that out sometime. Uh, that would be low on my priority list, though. <laughs> All right, let's play some Aka R here. I mean, the game is kind of like... Uh, yeah, here it is. Players defend a central turret from enemies on all sides. It's a fast-paced game that shares some gameplay elements with Missile Command. 
After testing at the prototype stage, Atari chose not to manufacture the game, making this arcade prototype quite rare. And this is one of those games that was undumped. It was not emulated until just a couple years ago. But yeah, the game itself is just not good. I, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's try it here. Let's play some Aka R. One player start. Okay, let's go. Alright, level one. No, I don't want level... <laughs> I, I want... No! Okay. Here we go. So yeah, you're, you have a little cursor... And you're and you're you're in the middle. It it feels a little bit like Space Castle, but you're the one in the middle. And it's just you're shooting these beams out, and uh, it just doesn't. It, apparently, the original did use a, a trackball. Can I use my? I can use my mouse. Okay, that that's better. See, this is what I'm not getting. You can you can use a mouse. Okay, all right. That makes it a little bit better. Yeah, with the controller, it just doesn't feel right. But it's visually kind of confusing, and and then when the the ships get close, there's like this close-up zone, right? You zoom in. Is there like a zoom in button or something? <coughs> I think there's a separate. Yeah, there's a separate button to zoom in. This is even more confusing. It's really not. Yeah. Yeah, you can zoom in or zoom out. One of the real hallmarks of a great arcade game is is a degree of simple but challenging. And this game is just... I gotta zoom in, okay. This 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 part feels a little bit like Reactor in, in, a, in a distant way. Like, I get the idea for this game, it's just... What do I do with these little objects, though? Do I shoot them? What's going on here? And kind of the concentric thing, it does have a... It does feel a little bit like... Um, you know, in, in that it is concentric, it feels a little bit like Tempest. But it just feels like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on in this game. It's just... It feels like, like a disconnect. You know. I've had about enough of Aka R. This game is bringing me down. It really is. It's just not a good game. Sorry to say. I can't even complete a game of Aka. I can't leave. I I I have to keep playing Aka R. All right, come on. A game over, please. Game over. Okay. Enter your score. Okay. I'll enter random letters. Okay. We're done. We're done. No, no. I don't want to play any more Aka R. Now, obviously, the remake is uh, is going to hopefully be, be a better game because it's you know. Ah! Arg! I dropped my recorder. Well, it sort of tumbled down a little bit. Um, do we have any more Aka R footage from Jeff Minter? <coughs> Let's see. Let's see. No. Is this all the same stuff? Like, are these different videos, or...? It may all be the same video. Uh, 
So here's the remade version. It looks like kind of the same, the same thing. It's, yeah, I don't know. I may skip this one. But your character has weird, like devil horns or something. It's just like a weird devil creature in the middle. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if it was better, they probably would have released it. All right, is this, is this different? It looks like a different timestamp, but no, it's the same. <coughs> there you go, Aka R. Why don't they do APB? That'd be a good game to do, you know. Remember APB, where you're a cop driving around? That was a good one too. You know, in a strange kind of coincidence, there's this Epic Game Store, right, where you, they're giving away a free game every day for Christmas. And the game they're giving away today is called Them's Fightin' Herds, which is uh, these little cartoon animals fighting each other. And apparently this was originally going to be uh, a game based on the uh, My Little Pony, right? Remember, like, there was that revival of My Little Pony, and um, then all these guys that claimed that they liked it, they were called bronies. Remember that, that whole fiasco from a couple years ago? So I remember hearing that the, the woman that created the, the revival that was so successful of uh, My Little Pony was like kicked off the project or she quit or something. I guess her name was Lauren Faust. So she was created this uh, My Little Pony like fighting game. And uh, but apparently she didn't get permission from the company that owned it, Hasbro. So she got an injunction, just like Jeff Minter did trying to make a game like like uh, Tempest. It just goes to show the difficulties of a, a talented creator working for a big corporation and putting their heart and soul into a project only, only for it to be destroyed by the corporation. So then it was redesigned as different characters here. I have it as a free game. I don't know that I'm that interested in this game. I didn't even install it. So anyway, I don't know if I'll be playing this game, but it's free. It was free. I need to get free video games, damn it. When's the next free one coming? 19 hours. Oh, I better be better be ready. Talking about uh, old video games, uh, I finally got a good version of Dragon's Lair. You know, there's been all this weirdness because it is on, on MAME, the emulator, but the company, like, you know, they, they don't want anyone pirating it because they're still selling it, yada, yada. So anyway, I found a copy on um, the Internet Archive. It's just the Dragon's Lair plus the, um, plus the emulator. And it just it just plays one game. It plays Dragon Slayer, and you can just uh, update the bat file to include one line of text that will give you infinite lives. And this is just this is it. This is infinite lives Dragon Slayer. This is all I wanted all along. I don't think I've ever gotten through the game, but um, this is all I want. I don't want any menus. I don't want anything here. Here's Dragon Slayer, right? This was the game that used animation. It was in so innovative at the time. I remember I first saw it at a Great Adventure, the amusement park. It probably was 84 in, uh, in New Jersey. Right? And there's something about just this game, Dragon Slayer, 
that is magical, fantastic. Oof. You die a lot, you know. Oh, here, here's the flying horse bit. Right? But this, the sequel, Dragon Slayer 2, is just not, in my opinion, not good in either Space Ace. But this first one, there's something about it captures a certain look and feel because it was the first one of its kind, you know. It's a bit more, it was a bit more abstract oh. and uh, amazing. <coughs> but in this case, it's not even the most high quality video. I don't care. I just want just the game, and this is perfect. I've never had it like this before. I mean, I bought a bunch of different versions of it. <coughs> this is those multicolored uh, spheres. Yes, this game is very. The first one is very psychedelic. Well, I mean, it's it's a much loved, uh, you know, game from the early days of arcades. Oh, this one I can never get. They say wait till wait till he makes three noises. I waited till he made three noises, and I still got punched back. <laughs> the smithy. Come on, I gotta beat the snakes. Do I know this one? No, I got killed. It doesn't matter. I have infinite lives. Yeah. Oh, those. Those goons. The giddy goons. I got to the dragon scene at one point. To watch Dirk die over and over again. Didn't they say they're making a Dragon Slayer movie, I think? Well, that guy Don Bluth had a Kickstarter to make a Dragon Slayer mo an animated movie. And uh, I think I even joined the Kickstarter and he still hasn't done anything with it. Got electrocuted. All right, enough of this. Let me see if there's going to be a Dragon Slayer mo <coughs> movie. Let's see. Yeah, I went on the Kickstarter years ago. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he just kept sending out a million emails about doing, like, animation classes or something. It was pretty annoying. He's the guy that also made uh, Rats of Nim, or The Secret of Nim. Here we go. This is just from last month. Ryan Reynolds says Netflix is taking a big swing with the Dragon's Lair live-action adaptation. And is this a quote from Ryan Reynolds? It really intersects in a unique way with technology that I've never been privy to in the entertainment industry. What? Yeah, they don't have any images or anything. Uh, Ryan's went on to describe the Dragon Slayer adaptation as a living, breathing thing as opposed to just a piece of entertainment you watch. Oh, it's going to... Oh, it's going to be like... Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. And let's read this whole article because they do mention Bandersnatch. Oh, boy. Word of a live-action adaptation of the iconic 1983 video game Dragon's Lair at Netflix first surfaced back in tw early 20... Oh, sorry. Uh, first surfaced back in early 2020. 
with word that Ryan Reynolds was set to star as the game's lead character, Dirk the Daring, as he enters a dark and dangerous castle to save Princess Daphne from the evil dragon Singe and the wizard Mordrock. <coughs> the wizard? Wait a minute. Was that from the sequel? Or, I don't know. In the over two years since that initial report, however, there hasn't been much word on the project. Collider's own Stephen Weintraub had the chance to talk with Reynolds for his upcoming Apple TV Plus Christmas musical, Spirited, and during the conversation asked about Dragon's Lair. Reynolds described the adaptation as being an innovative take on the IP and that it intersects in a unique way with technology in ways that has never he has never seen. I can say that Netflix has approached Dragon's Lair in a spirit of partnership that I've never really seen before. They're taking such a swing with it. How we're approaching it and attacking it and what we're doing with it, I think will be pretty surprising to a lot of people. In its scope, I mean, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think anyone's ever tried it before quite like this. So I'm curious to see how it'll go. It really intersects in a unique way with technology that I've never been privy to in the entertainment industry. So they're taking some kind of pretty innovative stabs at this particular IP in a way that I'm blown away with. And I'm excited that they're along for the ride as we are. What? Ryan's, Ry Reynolds went on to describe that Dragon's Lair adaptation as a living, breathing thing as opposed to just a piece of entertainment you watch. He also pointed out that his production company, Maximum Effort, has been working on the project for at least for the last two years which was part of the original report back in 2020. What he means by a living, breathing thing is a hard thing to nail down, but given, given Netflix's experimentation with interactive series like the Bandersnatch special from their series Black Mirror, and the fact that the original Dragon's Lair game was an adventure game that tasks, tasks players with making quick decisions on where to go as part of an animated movie, it's not impossible that this adaptation will retain the original's gameplay as an interactive movie on the streaming service. Uh. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw, I mean, Bandersnatch was certainly interesting. I know I reviewed it on the show here a couple of years ago, uh, but it was ultimately really kind of a failed effort, in my opinion. I, I don't think it was, I mean, it was worth doing. You're watching Netflix, and it's like, do you want this guy to go left? Press this button. You want him to go right? Press, press that button. Sort of a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. Dragon's Lair was really, the, I mean, the game I was just playing is not really like that. It's basically you go through a series of scenes, and you have no control over which scene you're getting, and you just have to get through the scene, right? And so if they're doing something different, um, you know, I could imagine something where um, there's a lot. This is I'm, I'm just spitballing here, as they say. Imagine there's a lot of different. Um, parameters like you know he puts on a different hat or puts on a different shirt and then throughout the rest of the thing he's wearing that shirt yeah I don't know <laughs> it could be completely <coughs> like 3D so you can move around and I don't know I think Dragon's Lair is, is best left alone because right the original game there was something very special about it that I don't think any of the adaptations or any of the further things have even begun to touch. Make something new. Don't go back. Make a new thing. If you have an idea, make a new kind of, have a new idea. Leave Dragon's Lair alone. That's all I'm trying to say. 
So anyway, yeah, I looked into it with MidJourney. Yeah, there's no way to uh, download everything at once. So I'm trying to see if I'm, even though I stopped paying them a monthly fee, I hope hopefully my account is still there. And I better get these images out of here. I, I mean, uh, hmm. how do we get in here? Yeah, yeah, I got a ton of images. I don't, do they even say how many images I have? Hmm. Hopefully it goes back to the beginning. I, th I have to imagine I only have a, thou a thousand or two images in here, and uh, let's see. Yeah, I, sh I should just spend a couple hours and save them all out. But I want to save the uh, the prompts, too. Hmm. Six months ago, wow. Yeah, you gotta hit save with prompt. Yeah. Let's see let's see how it saves. Let me just get a little idea of the saving with prompt. Where is the prompt, though? <laughs> I don't know. Save with prompt. Hmm. That's weird. Save image. Hmm. All right. I, I obviously I'm gonna have to spend some time because it's it's kind of cool now that now that my enthusiasm over this particular, um, you know, situation technology thing has waned. The images I did create are now sort of in a separate category. Yeah. My early enthusiasm images or something. Yep, I think it does go all the way back. The very first one I made was something. Cardboard Ankh Fairies. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think that, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it does go back. Okay, I, be I, better, I better get on this. Put it on my to-do list. And what was the last one I made? The ultimate license plate was the last one I made, huh? And I gave up <laughs> after the ultimate license plate. It didn't look very good, the ultimate license plate. It looked pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the last one? I think that was. Oh, well. Oh, well. I mean, I, I give them so much money. I can't believe they don't let me just hit a button and download everything. I, I, come on. Oh yeah, there's the one for the show art. Yeah, whatever. Okay, enough. Enough, enough with the AI imaging. Anyways, thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. Much appreciated. I'm your host, Frank Ebernora, and we're here in The Overnightscape Underground, a radio station inside a book. Yes. Just go to onsug.com. Onsug is short for Overnightscape Underground for all your Overnightscape Underground needs. You can buy a copy of the book, and a new book is coming. And look at this. I'm, I'm in my program here. I'm look, I'm, uh, I've been adding my listening tokens, mirror ball, billiards, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, look, at these, look at these listening tokens. Uh, this new book is going to be so great. I'm aiming for this coming summer, which is a few months away now, for the next edition to come out. It's going to be much better. And anyway, go to onsug.com. Let's go there right now, shall we? O-N-S-U-G dot com and uh, 
right? You can get all your latest shows. Click on the OnSug Radio. That'll take you to an archive of all of our episodes. Uh, over 10,000 episodes. That's over 13,000 hours or over a year and a half of audio. A year and a half of solid audio, all organized in this archive. You can get the book. I have a copy right here. You can order it. It's print-on-demand. It was current as of last year. And uh, at that point, there's only over 11,000 hours. Now there's over 13,000 hours. Um, it's an amazing book, and a new one is coming. You can also download the, the PDF of the book for free. Either the original, the PDF of the original print book, or the current version, which I'm starting to merge in my my, my new version. I know I always make things more complicated than they should be. Anyways, check it out. There's a show each week called Overnightscape Central that you can participate in. And the most recent episode just came out, which was on the topic of what we're watching. And the next the next one is going to be on holiday related thoughts. And I just recorded my entry uh, the other day. You are invited to be part of this show. Check out the latest episode of Overnightscape Central for how you can participate. It's free and fun, and your voice will be in this archive forevermore. And we really do want this archive to be preserved and be listened to by future generations, people in the near and far future. I feel we're living in one of the most interesting times in history, and people will want to hear what we have to say, especially because we're in the pre-AI time period. Or... We're living in a simulation of a pre-AI time period simulated by the AI. Either way, it's all good, right? We're, we're, li- we're still living in this crazy world where you have to drive cars around and you have, you, have, you have to pay to live and you have all these weird, the news is constantly talking about all this horrible stuff. And, you know, it's, you know, you know the world we're living in. And we have a lot to say about it here on the Overnightscape Underground. Now... There is also a lot to say about this, a conglomeration, a melange, so to speak. No, no more French. I did enough French last episode. A melange of cosmic audio, which you should quite enjoy. Now, it's here, the other side.
the Sagar tree, the Trobbits in the forest are done for. Now I will claim the Overlord's prize. Oh, no. do last night? Well, I began to administer CPR. Oh, oh yeah? Well, what did Tom say? Tom estimates it was about ten minutes before he detected a pulse. Ten, ten minutes? Well, when did professional help arrive? And five minutes more before professional help arrived. Oh, really? What, what happened then? By the time they took the man to the hospital, the paramedics made it clear to Tom that he had definitely saved the man's life. Uh, did uh, Tom have any comments? Tom comments, I think anyone would have done just what I did. It was my moral obligation. That's... Uh, yeah, great. Um, who, who was that again? That's Tom Finn of Mount Prospect, Illinois. Saving a life by meeting an obligation in the American character. Uh, American character? <laughs> God, give me a break. You're such an asshole, Carl. What can I tell you? It was a long time ago. I don't want to talk about that no more. I don't want to talk about that thing no more. Galaxy Productions presents Murder in Martinsville. It's on Spring Run in Martinsville where the scene started. The professor is walking along in his backyard. Tom, you're so and everyone, and could you tell us again how you felt? 
years after his death, is being taken from the little village where he lived to lie for the rest of time in the Pantheon, the burial place of Francis Great. Yeah, we can't get in the front door unless we have a cabana there. And uh, we just did a survey this week. I had a, an associate of mine, Lee Paulette, who went in and cross-checked the voter register. Sorry to say that the uh, president said that probably uh, does not remember the details of what happened uh, that accurately uh, at this point. Mr. Kraft? Your Majesty, many people think that the main obstacle to further agreement is Prime Minister Begin. Afterward, Helen Keller, Louis Braille's great disciple, is made Chevalier of the Legion of Honor.
Music Country 59 WPLO and Hank Williams Jr. I'll tell you what, if you're into NASCAR racing, in fact, even if you're not, we've got something great for you coming up here in just a couple of minutes from the 7-Eleven and Skoll people. But right now, let's get into Sylvia and nobody does it better than Sylvia and, of course, Hal Needham. WPLO, 22 minutes after the hour. Boy, we've got something good for you. We've got a 7-Eleven skull hat, T-shirt, and patch, plus the 7-Eleven Big Gulp Certificate. All for the 11th caller at 875-WPLO. Here's Leon Everett. I love it when you're with me What you think is fair Your Music Country 59, 25 minutes after 2 o'clock on your Jim Stewart show. And boy, that song is a great one, too. Whatever you think is fair. Written by our own all-night man, Les Reed. <laughs> boy, I've got something good here. Charlotte Steepover in Clarkston has just picked up the 7-Eleven Skull hat, T-shirt, and patch, plus the 7-Eleven Big Gulp Certificate, all from your Music Country 59, WPLO. Well, I never felt more like singing the blues, because I never thought that I'd
your way, Girl in Gold Boots. The girl in the old boots, boots like the flames in a bar. And when the music starts her... I'm on my way to Hollywood right now. Now, why don't you come with me and I'll bet you my sister can make you the star, just like that. And I'll do all that for you in exchange for a little companionship. Girl in Gold Boots, the exciting story of vibrant, unpredictable youth searching for the answers that torment their generation. For Buzz, the answer was a gun. One good time, one place is for you. It's all here, the happy fun times and the crazy, turned-on, dangerous times. The fuzz may be dumb where you come from, friend. But out here, they're more with it. Give me. Give you what? You let that gun on me, sweetheart. No, I'm not gonna count, Sonny. For Michelle, success meant Hollywood, wild parties, drug-crazed nights, and the dangers that come from men who live in the shadows. You know, you may think the success with Leo and uh, all the kooks in this place means you got the world by the tail. Well, that ain't the case, baby. I thought we were only supposed to hit this spot once a week. And that's all that we're going to hit it, you understand? Look, somebody better be here tomorrow with that order, or you guys better not deliver around this block anymore. Sounds of former meetings make lies of what is said now. Leo says I'm really going places. Just because he deals in dope, that doesn't tarnish me. Oh, that's what you think, baby. Kissing the lips is just like sweet wine. For Critter, the answer could only be Michelle. And she meant big trouble. Thrill to adventure, action, love, danger, and suspense. As three young people try to find their way in the world. Starring these bright new stars, Jody Daniel as Critter. Leslie McRae as Michelle, Tom Pace as Buzz. A dozen new swinging song hits. Make a date now to meet that girl in gold boots.
23 skidoo. Goodbye, Freddy. Hopelessly in love, he wants to make good in a big way. So, back to work. As the company grows, it brings the railroad and other businesses to town. Increased property taxes from the thriving community help to build better schools, streets, parks, libraries, playgrounds, and waterworks. Taxes even help to provide more and better governmental services, such as police protection. Before long, Freddy becomes a successful businessman. down the mighty Mississippi and a beautiful Minnesota sunset. Imagine yourself there. And listening to the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Yes, this weekend an old paddle boat is leaving for a scenic river cruise with music on board by the original Glenn Miller Band. They're back again. They perspire a lot on their instruments and become irritable and somewhat paranoid in large crowds. They won't have a good time, but you sure will. And boy, can those old turds swing. You'll hear all your dancing favorites in the mood, string of pearls, the principles of modern physical chemistry, and... 
Yes, it's flaming toads with their eyes taped shut wrapped in tinfoil. So put on your dancing shoe, stare directly into the face of the sun, and spin around 15 times real fast in one spot for the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Reserve your spot today. Tickets available by phone, or you can call directly, or by phoning to reserve your spot today. Here's the sound. The sound. begin on this and I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now this, i think the best beanie adam ever and we go to breakfast especially i mean we're gonna we're gonna put this up and once you realize what all's in it we're putting on music robert and i are gone for us tonight it doesn't matter when something's that good and literally sells itself that's how hot this uh, is I'm, I'm gonna tell you it's it's uh sf8084 sf8084 this deal is so good that I, I can hardly wait to read the net tomorrow to hear what people have to say about what we did. Folks, we have literally, there are 28 Beanie Babies in here when you consider retirements that can literally pay for everything right now. Yes, sir. With what the, what's happening with the retired prices. Guarantee you that. 94 different Beanie Babies. And if we could, we'll put with 14 new releases and with 28 retired. Or we can just put with 28 retired. Since the new releases yeah. are really no longer new releases. So we're, that means here's what you got. And we're going to do something special. Is this it? Right there. 
We're going to give you the $400 Maple Bear free in this package. Look at that. We're going to give you the $400 Maple Bear free. So basically, um, I want you to understand something, folks. And we're going to go through everything you're going to get. You are going to get guaranteed. Do you know now? Because we're going to give you Princess and Aaron. I see Glory. Glory's in here. Wait, wait. And, and again, we haven't even gotten started yet, folks. So you got to understand what I'm getting and, ready to tell and you. They're already selling. Uh, and here's the problem. Are you ready for this, folks? Now, here's the problem. Number one, we only have a few of these. That, I, I can rest assured, I'm looking at it right here. According to this, am I reading this right? We have 32? That's right. Folks, we're going to double check on that. We may I only that's have, right. I believe that's, we may only have 32 of these. But let me explain something. The retirement is coming up either September 1st or October 1st. We've been hearing rumors of all the way around the board. Guaranteed every single thing that retires. The only one that wouldn't retire would be, uh, the, the, the only, there's only one Beanie Baby that's not in here that's possibly been retired. That's Britannia. And it is not going to be retired. It's a, you know, it's a current Beanie Baby from this year and it's a thousand dollars by itself mm -hmm. and it's not going to be retired. So here's the deal. Are you ready? You are going to get every single current American Beanie Baby release. That's, you're up, 65, to, you're up to speed right there. Like that. 65 current Beanie Babies. Actually, that's wrong. We're going to throw in the yeah. maple that was only released in Canada. That's a $400 Beanie Baby. By itself. By itself. We sell them out at $399.95. By itself, right now, we are going to give you this one. Are you ready for this? That's 66 current Beanie Babies. Including Maple, Princess, Aaron, Peace, Glory, Glory, every currently Fortune, Rocket the Blue Jay, all the 14 new releases, all the 14, Wise the Owl, which you know is going to be retired, but anyway, uh, Drake the Ducks, uh, what is it, Stinger of the Scorpion, uh, Ants the Anteater, Early the Robin, uh, Cuckoo the Cuckatoo, um, uh, Whisper the Deer, the Basset Hound, the Golden Retriever, all the 14 new releases, Jabber the Parrot, plus every current Beanie Baby that there is in America, every single current Beanie Baby in America. And then, here's the part that is unreal. Folks, here's another, we, we can pay for this in two different sections. Mm -hmm. The 65 current. And when you put in uh, maple, 66 current, you're, you're over it, uh, maple. We're going to give you all 28 of the May retired Beanie Babies. Did we run that at 599? Is that right? Originally. We sold, sold it out one time at 599. Today, we would have to sell all 28 May retireds for around $1,699. Oh, we've been quoted on almost everybody around we, six. We sold out at 600, though, didn't we? Oh. The first time we did. First time we did it. We sold. I mean, I, I sold them out at six hundred. We could you, sell one billion of them at six hundred. You said maple at four hundred. Maple those, at four hundred. Those bears at a hundred. We sold out of the fourteen at seven ninety nine. We sold the fourteen new releases at seven at seven ninety nine. And the twenty eight retires at five ninety nine. You are getting six hundred dollars. Everybody else. Okay, that's that's twenty eight and fourteen is forty two, forty three, four, five, six. You're getting almost fifty beanies, absolutely free. Absolutely free. Absolutely free. Absolutely free, folks. And here's the thing. What are we selling them per Beanie Baby? Did you break that down? $21.27. I'm ahead of you. Oh, my gosh. Now, folks, you got to think about this. Hmm. 
Send them in. Think about this right now. $21 a piece. You're getting 28 retired mini babies. Listen to this. Oh, we've got Zip. Make sure I've got them all right. Zip. Zip the Cat is now bringing over $100, and mm -hmm. it just retired in May. Mm -hmm. Zip the Cat, over $100. you got Peanut the Elephant, Pinchers, uh, the Lobster, one of the original nine, Hippity Hoppity and Floppity, Lucky the Ladybug, uh, uh, Squeed of the Pig, another one of the original nine, bringing $70 and $80. In fact, almost all 28 of the retired bring a minimum of $50 a piece. Minimum. If you want a safe bet, one guy that's going to retire in here for sure, and I can't see him right now, is Chocolate the Moose. He's the only one of the original right. nine that's still current. Here he's he is. Go he's gone in October. Right, I'll tell you something else, too. Snort the bull, going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Snort the bull, hey, going to be gone. In anything they retire in October, you you've got. You know what? You've we got it. We we we're forgetting. We're making moot points. It doesn't matter. They're going to do a retirement either September or October. Rumor has it they're going to retire. I I've heard this. That there's a possibility that something could happen September 1st with the Princess Bear. We're hearing that everywhere. Do you know if that retires, that bear alone will cover the price of everything? You know, the, that's no joke. That bear alone will cover the price of everything. You know, August 31st, the day that we lost her, that's yes. when this bear was was you know that's literally right. born. So commemorated. So. That's right. And I believe timing. that the word has it that that's what's going to happen on the Princess Bear. Or they're going to make a whole new one, and then this will be retired mm -hmm. or non-existent. Right. Now, at twenty-one dollars a piece, would you not pay twenty-one dollars for every one of the new releases? Well, we Glory's sold them, we sold them out at seven ninety-nine. I know it. Twenty-one times two is two forty. What's twenty-one I mean, times? Oh man, two hundred fifty dollars. I mean, we could have sold two fifty. Oh, we, we 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 don't have enough. We couldn't. Buy them they don't make enough. They don't make enough. Do you? Maple's four hundred dollars. If you call right now, you're guaranteed the maple bear every time you order. You are guaranteed the maple bear every time you order. You are guaranteed 94 different Beanie Babies. And the best part of this deal is, no matter what retires, you got it. You got it. It doesn't matter. At twenty-one dollars, probably for two or three retirements. For the next you've three got retirements, it. you have every single yeah. every single Beanie Baby that retires. You have look at it right there. Look at what just happened. Someone just is verifying on five sets, and you want to know something? If you can afford it, buy it.